0: Well, good morning. Hope you guys are good. You got all your Christmas shopping done? No? Me either. I got to get it done tomorrow. Um, Anybody else wait to the last minute? You think we'd learn by now, right? Start in like uh, March. Go ahead and get that knocked out, but I don't want to wait to the last minute. Um, Be doing that tomorrow. So uh, anyway, um, I wanted to share something with you real quick, just as an encouragement. Um, How many of you... When you were young, or you might still do this now as you're older, um, ever went to like an arcade and you played a game where you put the money in and then you had like the little joystick thingy and you could move it around. It's got all the prizes in there. And you move the joystick around and then you get it to a certain point over the thing that you wanted to try to win. And you you pushed it and it came down and the little claw came down and, and it grabbed hold of the thing or most of the time didn't grab hold of the thing. Right? Right? And then it would swing it over and drop it into the little place where you would get it out. How many of you have ever played that? Somebody, so yeah. So pr- probably all of us have wasted money on that because you didn't win anything. Um, I was thinking about that uh, just as we were worshiping. And, you know, sometimes I think we get into situations or circumstances in life. It may not be a bad circumstance. We may just be facing a decision in life. And sometimes I think we feel like God is like that arm. That just kind of comes down and plucks us up and moves us to the right place and drops us where we're supposed to be, right? Sometimes I think we do that. Sometimes God may do that. He may just, just super. He might just come in and move in such a way that um, it just moves us into a new season. But I felt like, and I hope this is encouragement to some some of you, that most of the time with God, He tells us to step in faith. Right? He tells us to step in faith rather than Him just coming down and just somehow supernaturally propelling us to move. He, he asks us to step in faith. And I want to encourage uh, you today that um, when God calls us, He calls us to step in faith, to move in faith. If you look at Scripture, many times in Scripture, before the miracle happens, before um, God begins to move, it requires us to step in faith. Trusting in Him. And so I want to encourage you with that. I know that that uh, was something that spoke to my heart as I began to think about that. And, and really um, challenging me to, to move forward, right? And, and to trust God uh, to move as we um, begin to move towards those mountains in our life. Trusting that He's going to move those mountains as we step in faith. So today um, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. Um, You saw the video about Christmas. Uh, I would encourage you to come uh, back on Tuesday evening at 530 uh, for the Christmas Eve service. We're going to worship and and we'll have a message that night, just uh, something that I'm excited to share with you that that I feel like the Lord's put on my heart for that night. And it's going to kind of tie in to what we're talking about today, we're, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. As you saw in the video, um, Malachi is the last prophet in a long line of prophets that God sent to his people Israel. Um, after Malachi, there was no um, God did not speak through a prophet for approximately 400 years. Um, and, and so it was silent where God's not speaking through a prophet. The next prophet to come is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he begins to preach a message of repentance, calling people to turn back to God. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he begins to make a way and preparing people's hearts for Jesus as Jesus comes into the earth. And um, so we see this gap of about 400 years. And we're going to be looking at these last words, these last prophetic words uh, that God speaks through Malachi, this prophet, um, before Uh, the coming of John the Baptist and then Jesus we're going to read a lot of scripture today so um hang in there with that but but it's it's good we need to be reading God's word and um and and we're going to talk about these things I I do want to tell you this probably going to get pretty heavy all right but but let's hang in there right let's hang in there um it's going to be good uh we know that God is good and I believe he'll speak to our hearts but let's hang in Um, and let's get into the book of Malachi. To find it, if you can find the New Testament and you can find the book of Matthew, you just go to the left, back up one book, and you'll find Malachi. And um, we're going to start reading there. Before we do, let's pray and ask God just to speak to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness and your unchanging nature, God that your love and this covenant that we have with you, this agreement, this relationship we have with you through Jesus is unchanging. I thank you that we see your unchanging nature throughout history as you've pursued your people, God, as you've been patient and long-suffering and pursuing those, God, who have oftentimes turned against you, that your word says that even when we were enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us. God, I thank you for that. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself, Lord. I pray now that your word would speak to our hearts. I thank you that it does not return void. I pray, God, that it is living in act. As, as it is living inactive, Lord, it would work in our hearts, piercing us to the deepest part of our being. God, um uh, separating out that which is not of you. God, I pray that it would tear down strongholds in our mind. God, inaccurate ways of thinking about you, about ourselves, about others, about our purpose in the world. And God, that you would set us free even more today to fulfill the purposes for which you created us, Lord. We love you and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get into this. Um, Let's read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to talk about those verses for a second. It says in Malachi 1:1, it says "A a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So God is speaking this through this prophet. Listen to how this prophecy starts. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, how many of you, you're going to see through the book of Malachi these, that God is um, referring to these things, these accusations or questions that, that uh, is, are being made against him. And um, he's going to uh, answer these questions or give them evidence of how he's answered these questions. But how many of you who, who have children have ever had a time where you felt like your children were just ungrateful for everything you've done for them? yeah and we we kindly instruct them in thankfulness you don't appreciate anything we do for you right that's about how it goes you know and and uh and so woke some of y'all up that's good um but but we all probably seen that or you've been in a store and the kids kicking and streaming because he wants a lollipop or a toy or whatever and you're 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 thinking like that was my kid <laughs> Right, and and uh, and so we see these things. And in these first few verses, this is kind of what God is saying to Malachi. He's like, "Look, you're being really immature. You're being really selfish. You're being really blind. You're being really ungrateful. You're being really unthankful for all I've done for you." And He uses this example of Jacob and Esau. If you go way back in the Book of Genesis, we see where God um, uses Jacob in His line to bring forth the people of Israel, these, this chosen group of people. The Bible tells us that he rejected Esau. It tells us that Esau was a godless man. He, he gave birth to a godless nation. And so God is using this as a contrast to say, listen, I've shown you my love throughout history. When I, when I chose Jacob, when I, when I put my hand upon Jacob, he's saying, listen, I've shown you love. Have I not protected you? Have I not walked with you? Even when you've gotten yourself into bondage and slavery and all of these things, did I not deliver you? So how can you say, how have I loved you? And, and he's challenging them to look at this. And isn't it awesome that when God is about to bring some pretty serious rebuke, he begins it by saying, I love you. Isn't that awesome? Good, because the awesomeness you're probably going to lose in just a second uh, of that, because it's going to probably feel kind of heavy. But we see this, that God begins this with his love, but we see this immaturity in these people. and, And Let me ask you this question. He's addressing God's people. He's going to address some of the priests and things in just a minute. And we'll see how that trickles down throughout the whole um, community of believers. But let me ask you this. How many of you would say we still, in many ways, I still, you still, we still, as the church, have a lot of issues with immaturity and how we handle things? Anybody? Yeah. I would say so. And, And here's what we have to do as a body. We've got to begin to grow up. We've got to begin to realize that God's love for us, as it works in us, gives us love for others. But there's going to be times when things come in to try to divide us and destroy relationship. That is Satan's number one goal, to destroy relationship. We're going to see this again in just a minute. But I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us that we have to understand that God's love, his purpose, the gospel truth of Jesus coming to us and making a way for us to go to God, listen, that's got to be bigger than our little offenses that we take towards each other. We've got to grow up and begin to move through these things and begin to grow to maturity and wholeness as the body of Christ. But we see here God begins this challenging them. Listen, don't act like, Immature children, look at all I've done. Going down to verse 6 now. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Listen to this My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, The Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who is an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. As he goes through this, if the first part we looked at is about immaturity, the second part is about indifference or disinterest or what we might call in the church as lukewarm worship. He begins this by saying, if I'm a father, where's the honor? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? And many times what we do as people is we take our earthly experience with a father and we look and we put that upon God and we make a decision or a judgment about how God is. We begin to see God through that lens. But God has already told us in his word, I'm not a sinful father. I'm a perfect heavenly father with perfect love that never changes. We look around us and we see this master-slave relationship that throughout history has been really, really messed up. And we can't fathom in our mind a situation of master and servant where the master is really good and my servitude to him is actually the best way for me to live. He's saying, and because you've got all this screwed up, you really don't see me, you really don't appreciate my love, you really don't worship me, you bring me this half-hearted devotion. He's saying, you bring these blind and lame animals, these diseased animals. He says, listen, Try offering this to your governor. Try taking this to the public official. Would he accept it? Basically what he's saying is you wouldn't do this to a man in power. How can you do this to the God of the universe? How many of us would agree today that within the church there's half-hearted worship? How many of us would agree today that at some point in my life, if not right now, that in my heart is some type of half-hearted worship? And so we see this, that Malachi is addressing much of the same type of stuff that we still see around us, in the world, around us. So bad that he says, I wish that someone would just shut the doors of the temple and not light useless fires. He's saying, don't go through the motions. Don't come in here and kill animals and burn lame and diseased stuff and and then walk out of here and think you did what you're supposed to do. That's not what I'm after. Jesus even said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's like, I'd rather see the love of God working out of you in mercy to each other than you come in and give in some half-hearted sacrifice that changes nothing. Alrighty then. And now, verse 1 of chapter 2 You priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival services, and you will be carried off with it. Let me explain that real quick because it's a lovely image. The dung he's talking about is, is something I was reading, studying, and said this. The dung he's talking about, what he actually means is the food in the stomach of the animal that had not yet been digested. And everybody can say it with me, yuck, right? This, this food that had not yet been digested. And when they would make the sacrifice, they would take that part of the animal out and they would take it outside the camp of Israel. It was seen as unclean. That part, of the, that part was not to be given as the sacrifice. Basically what he's saying is, this stuff's gonna be smeared on you because you are doing things that are not right. You have become unclean and you'll be put outside the camp. He said, and you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him. And listen to this. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. You're about to see a contrast here. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Now, Levi was the tribe of Israel that was given the responsibility of being priest for the nation of Israel. He said this. Call for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. Now, listen to this. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. Instead of turning them from sin and turning to the Lord, your half-hearted teaching, not teaching the truth, has turned people and caused them to stumble rather than turning them back to God. He says, you have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. When you look at this and you begin to think about this, we see another issue that is in the church today where where we have begun to not hold to truth. We don't teach truth in love. We've begun to shy away. I talked with somebody the other day. who, um, they, They were telling me about a conversation they had with a priest or pastor or leader. Of, of a congregation, and, and they said, you know, um, as we move into this time and season that we're in, basically something like this, truth is kind of changing. There's kind of a new truth now that we're seeing um, kind of evolving. And, and this is scary because this is someone who's supposed to be teaching the truth, Right. And we're, we're allowing the world around us to shape what is true rather than allowing God's word to tell us what's true. And that's always dangerous. When you look at this, and he talks about how um, despised and humiliated the people would be, even if they were speaking truth and teaching truth and teaching God's commands and teaching them how to live and how to honor God, basically they weren't living it. If you look at this, and the first part we looked at was a a struggle of maturity. There was immaturity. There was no thankfulness to God. The second part was indifferent or or, um, uninterested worship. Then this part we're looking at now, it points to a loss of Integrity. Their words didn't match their deeds. Even when their words were right, their deeds and all of this didn't line up. They're making sacrifices. People are bringing them lame animals and lame worship, and they're offering these sacrifices. They're not teaching them and telling them and correcting them and leading them in a way that go, comes to worship. And, and, and God tells them, because of this, you will be despised and humiliated before all people. And I look at this. This was just a few years ago I saw this, that when it asked about how much people trusted pastors and clergy in the church today, the percentage of people, and this is, don't, if, you're, if you're an attorney, don't take this the wrong way, but the number or percentage of people who trusted pastors was less than the number of people or the percentage of people that trusted attorneys. we've lost our integrity our words don't match our deeds we've wandered from the truth even if listen even if i somebody doesn't agree with my truth i'll at least live it out at least people could respect the fact that i hold two truths not saying that i should be perfect we're all priests it's a priesthood of all believers but one of the biggest issues in the church is we've preached one message and lived another I mean, have you say that still goes on today? We put on our Sunday best, but live the rest of the week at our worst, and there's no integrity. See that word integrity? It literally uh, comes from the same root as integrate. What does it mean to integrate? It means to make something whole. It means to bring it together. Wholeness integrity it's one it's whole it's not two different things it's brought together word and deed brought together life um, and worship brought together not a secular and a sacred life it's all brought together in integrated integrity but what we see happening in Israel what we see happening in uh, most of the church today is not an integration it's a de- disintegration it's falling apart Why? We've lost our first love. We've lost the truth. How many of you would say that's still an issue? Amen. Yeah. And we and we see this. And watch this, guys. This disintegration, it doesn't just stop in their worship. I want you to be able to follow this this thought, the way this happens. But we're about to see how this disintegration of worship is going to flow through every relationship. I want to address this about to talk about divorce. Listen, I want to address this with sensitivity, but I want you to see that this picture that God is painting is saying, Listen, when this gets wrong, a lot of this gets wrong too. It's impossible for us to live in these relationships If these relationships, or or if we're not in this one, to live in these the way God calls us to. And he's saying it's just working itself through the whole community. So listen to this. He says, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. When he's saying this, he's pointing to this disintegration that happens in relationship. He's saying that it just is a trickle down effect, it begins to destroy the fabric of the community. It's interesting in this, too. He's saying, don't be unfaithful to your wife, to your bride. He's saying, you are doing what I am unwilling to do to my bride. As unfaithful as his bride, the church, his people have been, he says, I still love you and I still pursue you. He's pointing us to this disintegration that begins to happen rather than an integration of oldness. This disintegration begins to happen and relationships are broken. Listen, uh, marriage relationships, relationships between father and son, daughter um, and fathers, mothers and children. The disintegration of relationships between friends disintegration of relationships within churches. So we start splitting over carpet and we split over other kinds of things that are just crazy and we we lose the wholeness that God intended for us to have. Relationships disintegrate. He's going to point to this further as we go into chapter 3 and I want you to notice something that that in this message that Malachi is, is giving there's going to be a slight shift. You're going to start hearing a little bit of a different hope that he's going to start presenting. He says in verse 17, I told you it would be kind of heavy. Hang on, hang on to the end. Focus in. This is not um, you know, something that, that, that we need to zone out of. I want you to ask him to stay here. He says in verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? They're still being belligerent and, and pushing back on God. By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Or where is God the justice, the God of justice? He's basically saying, look, you're favoring the people that do wrong. And he says this, this is God's response. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before you. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will uh, purify the Levites and refine them with gold like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will all bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be accept- acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years so I will come to you to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. This this whole um, disintegration, now trickling, to all the relationships within the community. He says, but listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to send my messenger, and he's going to be one who comes like a refiner's fire, like a launderer of soap. He's going to come and he's going to refine you like gold and silver. He's going to pull out the impurities. He's going to work in your art. He's going to do a work in you like never before. And he says, but I'm going to come and I'm going to judge those who are unjust because your relationships and your justice and, and, and the righteousness in the community has disintegrated. Let's go now. Like just keep trucking. Verse 6, I hope you can follow that. Listen, this whole thing of immaturity, then this indifferent worship. If you don't appreciate, if you don't recognize, if you don't receive God's love, then there's nothing for us to do but give indifferent worship half-hearted, um, uninterested worship. When that begins to happen, we begin to see that relationships begin to break down. Our relationship with God, our relationship, even how we relate to ourselves, our relationships with others. And then he comes and says, I'm gonna send one who can refine, who can change, who, who can, is able to make um, those impurities to draw them out. He says, I, the Lord, do not change in verse six. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pest and from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Much of this passage is one of the most... Um, Misrepresented, mistoffed passages in Scripture. We, we take a lot of passages that we like or that can benefit us, and we, we prescribe them to all people when God spoke them uh, to a specific people. And, and we look at this, and oftentimes it's to uh, tell people to give, especially when you get to the prosperity gospel, um, this, this movement that says if you give, you'll get back more than you gave, Right? monetarily we look at God's blessing and we see blessing wrapped up completely in what is physical we don't think about his blessing as his power his presence and purpose in our life we think about as if 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 that that guy on tv he told me if I give a thousand dollars I'll get ten thousand back and we see it abused I would tell you that I believe this is more about the, the the Israelites heart than it is their wallet. Jesus taught us that you can t- trace a clear line from uh, from our 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 things, our money, our stuff, and wherever that stuff, those things are, he says, you can trace a clear line to where your heart is, where your where your treasure is. There, your heart will be also. I believe what God is telling them is, listen, this is evidence. The curse that you're under is evidence of your half-hearted devotion to me. He's saying um, your situation is evidence. And as much as, as it, it says, test me, as God says, test me, I believe the test is really in our own hearts. Are we giving God half-hearted devotion? We can recognize around us all of these things that are happening. There's one more question that he responds to. He says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Here's another contrast, guys. Look at this. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He's given us a very clear contrast. He's saying, listen, you're arrogantly saying I bless evil, that I bless those who do evil. He's saying, but understand this, there will be a great distinction in how I, I treat those who are wicked and those who are righteous. He's already shown them in the very beginning that I love you. And now they're saying, but you don't love us again. And they're, they're still being belligerent and they're. Still saying, listen, you, you know, you don't treat us fairly. Almost there. Chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and ev- every evildoer will be stubble. He's speaking about the end time, the, the, the day of judgment. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who reserve, who revere my name. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Oreb for all Israel See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He's speaking of that day of judgment when, um, that, that will clearly give a, the most clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And, and I want you to see this, but listen, there's a lot of rebuke in this. There's a lot of heaviness in this. If you just read through it and you don't read it carefully, it can almost feel like a wet blanket that's put on you. We look at it today and I would dare say as, as we've looked at it, that most of this is still happening today. All of this is still happening today. It's still going on, immaturity in relationship to God. We're not growing up in different worship, compromising truth, relationships disintegrating rather than being integrated together. We look at it, justice still not being done. People misrepresenting God. All of these things are still going on. Malachi speaks this word, and he, he proclaims this word. And here's what's crazy. After this word is given, silence. 400 years until John the Baptist comes, God does not speak. Now listen, think about this. If we look at where we are today, we look at where they were in Malachi's time today. Do you think it got better from Malachi's time to the day that John the Baptist began to preach? No. There was nothing to change it. No reason for it. He's silence. So we know that even when we get to the New Testament and we begin to read it, we see much of this still going on in Israel. And here's the thing I want you to see in this. Here's what I want you to get. Is that within this prophecy that we can see as as really heavy, as this strong rebuke, it is laced with grace. It is full of grace, just as the whole Old Testament is. It is full of God's grace. He begins it with love. I have loved you, not meaning I have loved you and I don't love you. I have loved you as in I have loved you in the past and I continue to love you. He tells us in 2, 4 through 6, he says this covenant that I made with you is a covenant of life and peace. He's made a covenant of love, a covenant of life and peace that he wants to give. This whole thing is about God calling the people that he loves back to him, back to a place of devotion and worship. Chapter 3, 2 through 4. He says he'll send one that has the ability and the power through the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. We know Ezekiel 36, he tells us that. He's going to take our heart of stone. He's going to give us a heart of flesh. He's going to write his commands, his decrees, not on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments, but he'll write them on our heart. He loves us so much that he didn't give up on us, but he still sends the Holy Spirit to pursue us, to awaken us to life so that he can give us a new heart and a heart that will wholeheartedly serve him. Six and seven, listen to this. I, the Lord, do not change so that the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. What's he telling us? He's saying, I have not changed from eternity. If to eternity, if that's even a thing, eternity's just there. He said, but I haven't changed in all of this. My love has never wavered for my people. I haven't changed so that you have hope. I'm not going to change. All the pagan gods of that day, they, they, they could change. They would change their mind, and, and the people would be there to do this one day. And then they'd go, oh, no, we got to do this. And God has stayed consistent throughout time, offering grace upon grace where sin abounds. Grace abounds that much more. And he's pleading with them right here, if you will just turn to me, I will return to you. Verse 16 and 18, he says, just as the father has compassion and spares his son who serves him, he'll spare us. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, but for you who who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing In it's rays, that the son of righteousness is gonna come and all things will be made right. All things will be made new. And I don't know about you, but I long for that day when every tear is wiped away, when darkness is done away with for good. And when we become the true people, holy, completely integrated in the love of God, finally becoming who we were created to be completely and holy in the first place. He says, I'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. The thing I want you to see in this is that God's love has never wavered. God's love has never changed. Though there was 400 years of silence, he's the same God that that, that began to be preached when John the Baptist came on the scene. I want you to see this, that the people, the people of Malachi's day, the people in this whole Old Testament, they were the same they had same issues as we do today. People will say, well, the Bible is antiquated and it's outdated, really. Let's read about the issues they had back then and let's see if we still have them today. Probably speaks to the same things. And we see this. I want you to see this. Now listen. Those people were the same as the people that that Jesus came to in a manger when he humbled himself and came to earth and was born in in this manger or barn or whatever it was. And he he came to those people like that, the same type of people in the New Testament. And here's the amazing thing. These are still the people Jesus comes to today. People with adulterous hearts who wandered from God. People who are greedy, people who are vile, people whose hearts are hard towards him and towards each other. He still comes to that type of people today because we are that type of people. We look at people who are broken. How many of us are broken in here in some way? None of us are fully integrated, but God is working in us if we're submitting our life to him. He comes to people like us who are broken to heal. He comes to people like us who are broken and in bondage to redeem. He comes to people like us who have broken relationships to reconcile and to heal. First with him and then with each other. And through all of this, we see the goodness of God. If you want to know why we should celebrate Christmas, I had somebody tell me between services, they said, you know, all the time people come up to me and say, are you ready for Christmas? He said, the, and he's like, yeah. And then when he says, how about you? They go, no, I'm just ready for it to be over. He said, most people tell me that, that, that's the words that come out of their mouth. No, I'm just ready for it to be over. And that's because our understanding of it is so jacked up. When we really look at the darkness of the world, if God opens our eyes to see the darkness, then we can begin to understand that what the the gospel of John tells us um, is true, that upon Jesus' birth, when he came to earth, a great light shined in the darkness. That that is what it's about, is a great light shining in darkness. It's about a great God coming to a people who've turned against him to turn their hearts back to him we just want to get past it. A lot like we want to just get past Sunday morning. A lot like we just want to get this, man, if I can, I'm just working hard to get to heaven. I think Alan Jackson said that first. Bad theology. Millions of dollars, but bad theology. If I can just get there. So much more than that, guys. And I hope you see this. God's rebuke, God's correction is to turn us back to him. God's love's never wavered from the beginning of time to now. He's not changed. Often misrepresented, but not changed. Patient, loving, persevering, long-suffering, pursuing constantly those he loves. And I hope in some way that encourages you. I hope in some way we can put this in the right perspective and understand that when Christ came into the world, a great light shined into darkness. A great light. Often rejected, but the Bible says, but in the darkness can't overcome it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word I thank you God that you sent light into darkness Lord I think about how Jesus was rejected in his day he walked the earth God when we see who he is and what he's done God that's heartbreaking I think about how I've rejected him in my own heart so many times And when I really stop and think about who you are and I think about Jesus and I think about the work he's done and I think about the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, I think about all you've saved me from, I think about the work you've done, Lord. It breaks my heart to think about how many times I've turned away. But Lord, when I see that you continue to pursue me, it makes me want to worship you that much more. Lord, I pray that each of us would be compelled by your love, Lord, to pursue. I pray that each of us would open our hearts to your spirit, the spirit that comes in and reassures us that we are your children, the spirit that works in us, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, God, in worship. Lord, I I just... Pray that we'll gain greater clarity of what's really important. Setting our eyes not on what's temporary in this world, but fixing our eyes on what's eternal. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Running our race with perseverance. Considering Jesus. He didn't turn back from the cross, Lord, but endured it because he knew on the other side there was something greater. I pray, God, that our hearts will be filled with worship as we truly see who you are and what you've done and who we have become by faith in you. Thank you for all of it. Thank you for each person here. Work in their lives, Lord. Work in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, hope to see you Tuesday night.